going to give you a choice between two things, and I'm not going to pretend they're good things, but you, you have to pick. There's no weaseling out of it. Well, last week we had the choice between the good things and the bad things. Yeah, these are going to be two bad things, because mm. we, we, <laughs> uh, we all aged eight years this week, and we used up all our good stuff for the year last week. Well, we, we did call it the good episode, implying that. No, no, the, the happy episode. Oh, the happy episode. They're all, gr- <laughs> they're all good episodes. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all, mm-hmm. all good episodes. They're all gems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There's no uh, bad episodes of the daily. Uh, no. And, and of course, this program is, you know, can be spoken in the same breath as the daily, I think. Oh, we, we are contemporaries. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to think that we sort of laid out the road that the daily is now driving down. Yeah, yeah. He, he is standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> that, that except, except it's the it's the 2018 giants, mm, and that's us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, no, 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 squirreling. Okay, <laughs> for one week, would you rather a have to do all your work on an iPad or have to watch uh, Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity's programs for a week? <laughs> Hmm. I'm including the work for your job. Oh, man. So you actually have to churn out actual work. Hmm. Ah, hmm. I, I'll go with the iPad. <laughs> I think I would be slightly less angry. It's not an easy choice, though. Hmm. What would your choice be? Uh, so I've tried it. Like last night, um, well, yesterday was a big news day. And last night, just to, to, to see how the other side lives or, or to get some context and perspective, I would, I would just, for an experiment, I was flipping through the cable news channels. Um, and Fox News, for the most part, was stuck on uh, Mueller's, uh, sorry, Mueller's. Everybody on that network mispronounces his name, and it's, <laughs> it's gotten to me. But Yeah, I, I do that every once in a while as well, where if there's a major news story, I'll check in just on foxnews.com just to just to see how it's being portrayed. And I'm, it never ceases to amaze me how much you have to scroll down on that website to find the actual story you're looking for. Yeah. This morning I did the same thing. Cause, and I was reminded of the thing when you were, you were suggesting we test our network connection <laughs> right? and I said, go to a website you don't ever go to. And then that, so that it wouldn't be cached and you had a pretty good response, mm-hmm. but no, this morning, um, yeah, the literal like homepage, uh, you had to scroll at least two page lengths down to see anything that mentioned Manafort or Cohen. Yeah. I was actually, actually doing that this evening. And if you had searched the foxnews.com homepage for Cohen, he only appears three times in the entire homepage and it's all just kind of tangential stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, they're up to eight. Uh, um, okay. So, yeah, so it's, it's not very good. And also, um, Tucker Carlson's really bad. Like, he's he's a bad person. So, like, I, it, I, he's not even, like, Sean Hannity's a blowhard, and he's also, like, willingly um, uh, misrepresenting the news and, and doing bad things. But Tucker Carlson's not even entertaining. He just, he, he's, just, he's, just a, he's just a bad person. So, I have a question for you. What? What happened to him and Lou Dobbs? Like ni- neither of, neither of them were ever my favorite, but like they used to be relatively reasonable people who, you know, were on. I think they were both on CNN, right? And like what? Like what happened? 
So you're exactly right because yeah, Tucker Carlson like he he was he was the token Republican on Crossfire before John Stewart got it canceled, and like he was so he was the guy, and then he had a show on MSNBC for a while too, where again he was he was the conservative uh, counterpoint to whatever their uh, slightly uh, left of center agenda. Like well, I, mean, I think that's fair for both. Like MSNBC is leaning super hard into the into the left-wing outrage stuff right now cnn still has a little bit of like objectivity left and then you have state-run tv on channel 759 but yeah like um he used to be fairly normal and then yeah lou dobbs went off the deep end and then also a third name um a maria bartiramo who was on cnbc for a really long time she became like super on the the trump train and like lost any type of like journalistic integrity when she went on fox business yeah it's weird weird yeah it's just i don't i don't i don't i don't see the incentive for the people that when he was running for office or when he became elected just felt like my career needs to attach its get get hitched up to the trump train and and just hold on for dear life like i i don't i don't see that yet here we are yeah well, your iPad, your iPad Pro is going to get a workout next week. <laughs> okay, uh, we got a lot to talk about this week, so let's jump. Let's let's breeze through follow up, and we'll get to the good stuff. Okay. Okay. So there are some important Apple Pay updates uh, from Safeway and Price Club. Yes. Um, so I was in the the local Safeway here recently, and similar to the first time that I ever saw Apple Pay in a Safeway, there was a little. Uh, sticker next to the register indicating that they now accept both Apple Pay and Android Pay. Uh, longtime listeners will remember that we've had discussions on Safeway in the past, and it's it's been kind of confusing because there was a story from lo- last year that it indicated that it was rolling out nationwide, like in, I think, late 2017. But then you had recently been to some Safeways where it wasn't supported, and then I had been to other Safeways where there was no signage indicating that they accepted Apple Pay, but Apple Pay would work. So it's been kind of in this weird state. And at least anecdotally, it seems like maybe now it, it finally has sort of been widely adopted by most Safeways. But again, not kind of hard to say for certain. Yeah, so that, like that because that's weird because there was a month probably in June where Safeway was or uh, where Apple Pay stopped working at my local Safeway and it is back. Um, and I was there as recently today, and there are no stickers, but it still does work. Yeah, so, so I, it seems. Yeah, I don't know if there was maybe a problem with the rollout or what exactly the deal was. Because um, I don't, I don't think Safeway has a vested interest like Target does, where Target is trying to shoehorn their own like app and wallet payment solution. Like I don't I don't see what incentive they have to not support it. Right. So it's maybe yeah. Weird. And the Costco apparently. Yeah, so Costco um so you know they were famous for a long time only accepting American Express and debit cards, but then starting I guess this was almost 2 years ago, something like that, they switched from Amex to Visa. And now they've recently made the step of accepting Apple Pay. Um, and I guess, I guess it sounds like it's it's totally live now in their stores and is coming soon to their gas stations. So, you know, the more the more places Apple Pay can be, the better. 
Does the cost, I, I know I, I'm putting you on the spot. Does the Costco card get loaded into Apple Wallet or do you still need your Costco membership card? I, I don't think the membership card's part of this. Um, Apple Pay does have a feature now where merchants can offer their rewards card and I think membership cards in Apple Wallet, but it, it, that seems to have fairly limited adoption. Like I know Walgreens does it, but like they're literally the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Nice. <laughs> Wait, is it, it's it's that one, right? I always forget if it's CBS yeah, but, you, but you're you're saying it wrong. Nice. You gotta say I'm it. Like, trying not say to like wake that. up the neighbors <laughs> or the puppy. Oh yeah, <laughs> if he starts whining or like whining in the in the true sense of the word because you yelled out "nice," that would be very very awkward. <laughs> no, he's uh he's still sound asleep. Um, so then I guess the other final little bit of Apple news. Again, this is more of the anecdotal variety. Blue Bottle last week was offering some type of promotion, which I had not heard of and was just pleasantly surprised when I got to the register, where if you paid using Apple Pay, you got like 30% off your order, which, you know, it's, it's not bad. Um, so my extremely overpriced coffee became, you know, just moderately overpriced. It's not overpriced. Blue Bottle's pretty expensive. Compared to what? Well, I not mean, compared all, to Starbucks. all artisanal coffee is expensive. I I disagree. I, like everybody knocks um, like boutique coffee, like Equator or uh, Blue Bottle or Phils, but compared to Pete's and Starbucks, it's totally competitive. Well, but like it's it's not corner store dollar sixty for a cup of black coffee, but but what I'm saying is all types of coffee like that are expensive. Not yeah, not singling but Starbucks. Out. Starbucks isn't in the same league. But but I I see your point. Yeah. Um, and then, and this was experienced at the ferry building Starbucks or blue bottle. It was mm -hmm. good. No, apparently in, in, uh, San Francisco, there have been a few like Apple sponsored, like, um, I think it's like their, their tagline is pay faster with Apple pay. Right. Yeah. I think they've had that in the, in the Marina a couple of times. Um, and then you have some, uh, you wanted to do a quick mini review of your Sonos Beam, I believe. Yeah. So I've had it for hard to believe, but over a month now and it's, it's really great. Um, the sound quality is good. It's not, you know, it's not going to fool anyone for a super high end sound bar or a surround sound system, but for what it is, it sounds, sounds really solid. The AirPlay 2 integration is really what makes it. I didn't really even give that a ton of thought when I bought it. I was more interested in the Lady in a Can integration and just kind of having a general upgrade from my internal TV speakers. But the AirPlay 2 integrations actually turned out to be the thing that uh, I've been probably using the most. Um, like, it, it was really fun where the very special lady friend and I were picking out our wedding playlist uh, the weekend before the wedding. And it was super cool just to be able to have the iPad in here and open up Pandora and kind of go through some stations and pick out some songs and just, you know, play all of them um, right on the, the Sonos. Um, and it's, it's really cool too, where, you know, you can obviously do, multiple Sonos speakers at the same time. So, you know, we've got the beam here in the family room and then we've got the Sonos one in the living room. So you can do, you know, the same, same track, same song on both speakers at the same time. You can do different songs to different speakers. It's, it's really, it's really cool. Um, 
So I've been been really, really happy with it. It's got a, got a bit of a funky setup where what it really wants you to do is use an HDMI port on your TV. Specifically, it wants you to use um, an ARC-supported HDMI port. And with that, you get, you know, automatic control of your TV and it you know automatically like turns on when your TV turns on, like all this stuff. Um, but I really didn't want to take up an HDMI port on the TV. So they, they do in the box include an HDMI to optical audio converter. And so I'm using that to just have the Sonos plug into the optical audio port of the TV. Um, which, you know, not only saves it an HDMI port, but also because of the Harmony Lady in a Can integration, all the TV control stuff I already have anyway. Um, but that, that makes the, that makes the initial setup process not quite as elegant. It definitely doesn't like the fact that you, <laughs> that I chose to use the optical connection, but did eventually get it going and it's, it's been working really well. Do what's, what's plugged into your TV? Apple TV, TiVo, and PS4? The, the don't have a PS4 anymore. So it's the Xbox One S, which is, like Jason Snell, primarily used for UHD discs, and the Nintendo Switch. Hmm. So all, all four HDMI ports are taken, um, and I don't remember if we really went into a super deep conversation online about this, but there was a, a, a while ago with, with our old... 4k tv where i had tried to get a um, hdmi switcher for it because that, that tv only had three hdmi ports and 4k especially when you start throwing in um like hdr those type of switches are hard to come by <laughs> and it's hard to find out exactly which switches support um hdr and then also that's not even mentioning like there's the whole. We I think we did talk about this some on the show. There's the whole refresh rate issue with 4K and all this crazy stuff. And again, finding switches that support all that stuff is is challenging. So I've kind of sworn off HDMI switches with the 4K TV. So I I, I don't want to expand beyond the four devices that I currently have hooked up. Yeah, I was I was immediately going to suggest an HDMI switcher, but that is actually a very very good point. That's that's. It's it's like a lot of stuff where physically the connector is the same has gotten way more complicated and that's the exact same thing with USB C and Thunderbolt three so yeah exactly yeah um you know the the long the long long term vision of course would be like getting an actual receiver which would have many more USB ports and going the full surround sound system but given that you know the the location of the TV in the house will be kind of in flux over the next handful of years. The, uh, something like a soundbar made a lot more sense and because of that i you know i don't want to go down the route of adding a bunch of temporary uh, hdmi ports and you know like i said really beyond losing some of the ease of the initial setup and losing the ability to control the tv through hdmi you don't really lose anything by using the optical audio port um and you know both the extra couple of steps during setup and not having the ability to control the TV through HDMI, not a big deal for me. So, you know, now that it's set up, it's, you know, it's, you would not, you wouldn't even know the difference between it being hooked up to HDMI versus optical. A uh, quick point of clarification. If when you're using AirPlay 2 or Bluetooth, do you have to power on the Sonos Beam first or does that wake it up automatically? It, it wakes it up automatically. Very nice. 
Um, and of course, you know, because of the lady in a can integration, it, it's, it's, I guess in a sense, it's always on cause it's always listening for that. Um, but yeah, no, there's no, there's no sort of, um, like on button that you have to press or anything. The only thing that's sort of a little wonky in manual is, and I think this is the same regardless of whether you're using HDMI or optical, maybe it's something that would be automated if you used HDMI, I'm not sure. But if you're using AirPlay 2 and you want to switch back to your TV sound, you actually have to go into the Sonos app and select TV for that to happen. So if I you can't use the remote, uh, no. Like if if I if I turn on the if I turn on the TV, it doesn't automatically switch to TV audio. And as far as I know, there's no like source button or anything that I could select. Like on a remote, like I have to go into the Sonos app and switch that. I, I could be missing something. And again, this might be one of those things I'm missing by not using HDMI. Um, but not not a big deal. That that's not really a use case that comes up a ton. So No, that that, that that's interesting. Because that that because with the Bose one that I have it it is a remote function where like yeah if you take over the audio control with bluetooth or like internet audio um when the tv starts making noise again it doesn't switch automatically but it is remote controllable so that that's interesting mm -hmm. hmm. yeah but it's good that in uh, it was 399 yes that's a real yeah it's a really good price point yeah it, it it's good. it's really good um again like it, the, the audio quality I, some of the earlier reviews i read really really praised it for it um it's good, but not great, I would say. Um, certain things sound better than others. Um, it, it definitely doesn't have a lot of bass. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it's, it's good, but not great, is, is, what, is what I would say. Like, I'm sure your, um, I'm sure your Bose soundbar sounds quite a bit better than this. But, you know, that makes sense, because it's, it's a higher-end speaker. But it has, because the Bose that I, like, it also has the ability where you can tack on um, a subwoofer if you wanted to. And I know when I was researching the Sonos Play Bar, that was also an option. Do you know if that's an option with yours? It is. So there, there is the Sonos Sub, so you can do that. You actually can also pair Sonos One speakers and turn those into rear channel speakers as well. Um, so you, so you, can, you can actually create a full-on surround sound system. The problem is the Sonos Sub is something like seven or eight hundred dollars. It's very, very expensive. And then of course, I think a two pack of Sonos ones is three forty nine. So, you know, you're in you're in over a thousand dollars if you include the beam and then those three additional speakers. And for that amount of money, now you're in the ballpark of probably being better off getting a receiver and a full on surround sound system. Yeah. So I think that the long-term vision would be, you know, for however many years we've got this particular setup, the beam will stay with the OLED here in the family room. And then, you know, when the TV eventually moves and we want to go the more full surround sound system route, we'll go the traditional receiver and surround sound speakers and move the beam to, you know, a secondary TV or something. That seems insane. Yeah. Good. Um, the, the idea of going the Sonos route with the surround sound system with the sub and the Sonos one speakers with it being all wireless and not having to, you know, have a receiver. Like it actually on paper sounds kind of interesting, but it's just, it's kind of cost prohibited. Okay, cool. And anything new with, uh, with Terry? 
Um, well, so, you know, I, I mentioned my little anecdote about the range estimate in the navigation system last week. That's That's been kind of the big highlight. Um, I forget if I mentioned that there's been a software update <laughs> since the one that had failed a few weeks back, and it successfully installed. So that was a relief. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's really good. It's still super, super fun to drive. Um, on that Reno trip, we used a couple of different superchargers again that worked really well. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of no complaints. Got definitely got off to a bumpy start, but it's been, been a good, been a good month since then. Did you watch or read the Washington Post review of the Model 3? I did. And I, I think I've kind of said something similar on the show in the past where I mean, I think I've literally used the phrase like it does feel like it's 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 like driving a smartphone and it it, it totally is. Um, and I, it's kind of funny that Washington Post video actually did mention the possibility of software updates failing. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I've I've had some firsthand experience with that. And yeah, so I, I totally agree with that perspective for for better or worse, which is how they phrase it. It very much is like driving a smartphone. It seems like there's a lot of weird compromise. Like, or like, this goes back to the main point where, like, it seems like it would have had to have been a totally autonomous car for this to work. And it seems weird that they didn't backtrack on the vision of a single touchscreen to rule them all. Because it sounds like there's a ton of things that are just unnecessarily difficult because of this design choice. So that's, yeah. I mean, all the reviews I read before getting the car made it sound like having a majority of the controls on the touchscreen was a huge kind of deal breaker and was really inconvenient. You know, that's just, it's really not been my experience at all. I, I find the controls to be pretty quick and intuitive. Um, there, now, there, with that being said, there is, there is a good point to be made around fumbling around with the touchscreen while driving not being very safe, and I 100% agree with that. But I think to Tesla's credit, there were a handful of things that people were rightfully complaining about early on the main thing was when you were in adaptive cruise control the only way to change your speed and to change the following distance to the car in front of you was through touchscreen controls but they've since issued a software update and they had done so prior to me getting the car where that is now controlled using one of the uh, thumb wheels on the steering wheel so there just there really isn't a ton that you do on the screen while you're actually driving. Most of your interaction with the screen would happen when you're parked. And in that case, I find the the interface and the screen to be as intuitive and as responsive as any sort of, you know, iPhone. Yeah, it seems like the the responsiveness is is never the the complaint. It's just yeah. I mean, there's and, and there's really, I mean, when you think about like the menus, there's only really one submenu for the car and it's everything's kind of just there so i i guess out, outside of the complaint of using the touchscreen while driving which again i i do think is a valid complaint but it is something that tesla's done a decent job of addressing outside of that i actually find the interface to be better than any car that i've ever driven because i mean it's not as if there's <laughs> a plethora of other better car interfaces out there Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I continue to continue to find it 
just kind of an awesome car to have and a ton of fun. Um, the kind of the electric part of it has actually proven to be like just not really a big deal at all. You know, being able to install the charger here at home was a big win. And then, you know, having superchargers be so readily available and as and as fast as they are, you know, I ironically <laughs> have made a couple of longer uh, car trips, which is actually not something that I normally do. And they, the timing of them just happened to be since I've gotten the car and they've, they've been totally, totally painless. So, um, kind of any worries I had about, you know, having an electric vehicle have been kind of put to rest so far in my first month and a half or so with it. Yeah. But I mean, as a counterpoint, I would say that you're the ideal audience for this. Yeah, I am. Like, I mean, I mean, one, like you, 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 you have a house or like you're not a renter. So therefore a lot of the logistics around charging it are, are gone. And you're somebody who's willing to plan ahead and also likes messing around with like interfaces like this. So I think your experience is probably like not typical. Well, and that's, I, so I think you bring up a really good point about me being the right audience, particularly in the sense that I'm always willing to experiment with new technology and I, and I'm willing to put up with kind of weird bugs and issues. So you're, you're totally right about that. Like I would never in a million years recommend probably any Tesla, actually, whether it's the three, the S or the X, like to like my grandma. Like I just don't think, you know, like as savvy as she is now with her iPad, I just don't, I don't think the car would be the right fit for her. Well, all the reviews say it's just a, an iPad on wheels. <laughs> well, that's fair. Thing. Right. Just, just load the podcast and then the podcast catcher or whatever. She's good. <laughs> right. But no, but like, that's the thing where, um, I think most regular people, like just a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable or would decidedly so have qualms about the way like uh, cruise control works just by like software settings and stuff like that like i just feel like a car shouldn't really for a lot of people be it shouldn't change dramatically uh depending on which software version oh your tesla's running 3.2.145 oh this is how this works no i mean that that that, that's a hundred percent and you know like a lot of people were a little uneasy about, you know, Consumer Reports had found kind of a an issue with the braking system in the car <laughs> where it was there was some kind of inconsistent braking performance results they were seeing. And Tesla fixed that with a software update. <laughs> oh, yeah. Does, does this does this car stop when it should or, or do, do I need to update the firmware? Yeah. Um, and like already like you know, thinking ahead a little bit now, um, supposedly next month, although, you know, don't hold your breath on that timing. Tesla is going to be rolling out version nine of autopilot, which is going to be like their first, um, 0.0 release of autopilot in like over two years or something like that. And, um, there's going to be like a completely new interface and a bunch of different changes. Um, so, you know, things like that for, I think a lot of folks that would make them kind of uneasy if one day a major part of their car interface, which is totally different. Um, or, or an even a, a different example, which is actually something else I meant to bring up, which is, you know, we've talked a couple of times on the show about the regenerative braking system and how that pretty fundamentally changes the way that the 
car handles in the sense that when regenerative braking is used, you know, the moment you let your foot off of the accelerator, you know, the car basically comes to a stop pretty quickly without you, you know, applying any sort of brake. But there's a caveat to that where if you fully charge the battery, which you don't typically do, typically you want to keep it in kind of like the 70, 75% range. And that's, that's what it recommends that you do in the charging menu. But like when you're going on a big trip, like I've done a couple of times where you want the battery fully charged, when the battery is fully charged, there's nowhere to store that energy from regenerative braking. So regenerative braking is limited, which completely changes the way the car handles in the sense that when you let off the accelerator when regenerative braking is limited, the car handles much more like a regular car where you then have to go directly over to the brake. And there is... That seems insane. Yeah, there is a little dialog box that pops up when you start the car and when that's going to be a thing. And there is also a feedback little area right below the speedometer that will, when you ease off of the accelerator, indicates whether the car is regenerative braking or not. So between those things, there is some level of feedback, but again, it's one of those things where, you know, of course, a tech nerd like me who reads about all this stuff knows about it and is fine with it, but for that to be just kind of the expectation for any regular driver is a little crazy. Yeah, I assume that um, the breaking preference thing would kind of be like natural scrolling on OS 10 <laughs> where like there's only one right option or I assume because yeah I remember when like I took that test drive at god it was like five years ago at Engadget Expand or whatever the thing was where like yeah they said there is a setting to make it coast and like naturally slow down like a regular car would and I uh, maybe I'm just uh, like I'm very old-fashioned but like I feel like that would be the only way to do it where it's kind of like in the same way, like where I don't use, I still use the allegedly backwards legacy scrolling function. Yeah, no, but that seems weird. Where if if your car is fully charged, um, it'd be like if the screen couldn't turn off on your iPhone because the battery's fully charged. Well, I mean, or it would just be like in a regular gasoline car, if your car handled significantly differently when you had a full tank of gas versus an empty tank. Particularly because it affects how it slows down. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, so just one of those things that, again, as someone who's hyper plugged into this stuff and hyper aware of it is not really that big of a deal, but for this to supposedly be Tesla's, you know, kind of like mass market car, things like that make it kind of tough to recommend to a, a super broad audience. Oh, so this is like the iPhone 4 with consumer reports with you. <laughs> right. Got it. Okay, so staying on the Tesla uh, Tesla train. Let's um we didn't talk about it last week, did we? No, we, there was the the happy episode. <laughs> so. Oh, yes, and so, so no Elon uh stuff. Or sorry, Mr. Musk. Mm -hmm. We are we are definitely not on a firm first name basis. No. So he it all started with a, a tweet which apparently in retrospect as um rapper azalea banks is telling people it was based off of a, a bunch of drugs he did um he tweeted that he is uh he, he quote tweeted am considering taking tesla private for uh 420 a share funding secured period 
So apparently that has spurred off a large chain of events where uh, there's now an SEC inquiry into uh, potential stock manipulation and weird stuff with that. Uh, his board has been scrambling to figure out what that actually meant. Uh, he was very cagey about what the funding entailed. And apparently after multiple revisions and blog posts later, that includes uh, large amounts of funding from the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund and many other things. And uh, rumor has it that the $420 a share figure is based off of him rounding up from what he thought it should be because 420 is funny because 420 is drugs. <laughs> Did I get most of it? I think so. Um, yeah, it was the the fully... Uh, is your boy doing okay? He, the boy's doing okay, yeah. Aww. Um, yeah, the, the, the lady friend got home, so the oh, custody's being passed off. <laughs> um yeah it was you know it was the funding secured part that i think really threw people for a loop there at the beginning because initially he didn't elaborate on that so you you pointed out that it it since came out that he was referring to a conversation he had had with the saudi sovereign wealth fund that <laughs> basically implied that they were ready to go but there was no actual formal paperwork or anything drafted um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the problem with this entire rollout, if you want to call it that, which I think is kind of a charitable way of describing it. Um, you know, typically when these types of announcements are made, it is becoming slightly more common for them to happen over Twitter, but, or you know, other forms of social media. But when that's the case, they're almost always that's almost always done in parallel with issuing a, a form 8k with the sec which is where you indicate to the public that you're making a you know material statement about your company and typically paperwork like that in a case of you know, some type of financing event like this would be backed up with you know evidence about how you got to your proposed price and all the other due diligence that you did and a list of all the firms that you're working with <laughs> And of course, you know, none of that was the case here. And so all of that now is is kind of happening in response to this as opposed to being done in the buildup to an announcement like this. So it's a, it's a very, very weird situation. And I, you know, I think it, maybe we'll get into this a little bit more if we end up talking about that New York Times article that um, Elon Musk did, but it just, it feels like so much of his problems so many of his problems are self-inflicted where mm -hmm. this was t this was totally an unnecessary thing for him to do and has caused so much headache for him and the entire company you know all of these various milestones particularly like with the model three that they've set were all totally self-inflicted like nobody was demanding five thousand cars by the end of I think originally it was by the end of last year and then it got bumped to March and then again to June. Like nobody was demanding that that was all done just, you know, for whatever reason. And, and when they weren't able to hit those marks, you know, that's where the kind of anxiety kicks in. So it's, yeah, it just, it, it's, it's very, it just feels like a lot of kind of self-forced errors. Yeah. I, I think we're, we're not, finance and uh regulatory analysts so like i don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that so yeah go, going to kind of the more personal side of things and his um 
his like Zuckerberg like like trying to image cleanup tour. Like, because this was obviously a um, PR department recommended um, interview. I'm not saying that the New York Times did a, a like a fake um, or like a like a puff piece, but I assume this this interview was based off of being like, okay, we need like you've had a lot of really unsavory and unsettling Twitter outbursts, so that you need to find a way to fix it or at least humanize yourself. So yeah, so the the New York Times interview was interesting but i'm not sure how much it actually um lets on because you know it was so pre-planned but no you're totally right where like just as as a as a figurehead and a business person like he he sets really ambitious goals that his companies generally don't ever meet but they're also like but they're still doing very remarkable things under a lot of pressure by a very um probably charitable use of the word but but a driven person but yeah, he seems to be the person who maybe uh, is going to be his own downfall and is undermining all the impressive work that his companies are doing. Right. And that, and that's, you know, I mean, to kind of draw kind of a, a somewhat, I guess, somewhat of a weak comparison to our favorite company, Uber. But the comparison I'm trying to make is that it, just, it, fe- like, it feels like the, both companies, like when you just look at their core service and, and and products are doing some really really cool things and people are incredibly excited about those services and products but then there's just all this noise and all these self-inflicted issues that both companies have created very different types of issues which is why this analogy is maybe not the strongest but it just I compare the companies just because they they both feel like if they could just get out of their own damn way and just focus on what they do best, they would be they would both be kind of unstoppable at what they do. But because of all of these unforced errors, both companies feel like they're you know fumbling a bit. Well, so then that goes to the logical follow up question, which is: Has Musk taken? these companies as far as they can be and now adults need to step in in the same way that uh, that Kalanick was forced out of uber and they brought in uh, like a, a tenured ceo they from expedia they just hired a cfo finally like is this to, to the point where they're making cars at a reasonable pace and they have direction but there's somebody who is just toxic at the top and is not it's just not helpful and to the point of being a financial liability I could I could see that going that way. I I think this will be a little different where I could, I could see well I don't know. We'll see. I I could see a scenario which is what this New York Times article got a little bit into which is perhaps someone's brought on as kind of his number 2 and kind of takes over a lot of the day-to-day operations and, and lets Elon be kind of the the spokesperson. I mean that's that's making the huge huge assumption that he would be able to take that step back um but if, assuming that he was i i could see that being a potentially good setup like i don't i don't think things are at tesla the way that things were with kalanick at uber where it would not make sense for him to stay on in any capacity given what what happened with him but i think with musk it's there's still a situation where he could be with the company, but certainly his roles and responsibilities have to change. Mm-hmm. 
Well, this was supposed to be just follow up, so I guess we'll let it go. <laughs> um. Oh, last thing. Uh, iMessage in the cloud. Um, it's really bad. And that's about all I have to say. So what I'm curious what your specific issues are, because I'm I'm still having an issue that I've had for months now where notifications just don't stay in sync on with messages between my Mac and my iPhone, where if I get a message on my Mac and then respond to it, I may like a couple of minutes later get that same message on my iPhone with it being unresponded to like they're just completely out of sync so if you do a search in slack for iMessage there's a screenshot i put in there on august 8th when i had just restored my uh, laptop and um imac from the cloud and it, it this this was in august and the very first thing on there is a mess is a group chat from march 24th below it march 2nd and then you just keep going you have uh, may 23rd below it august 6th like none of it the ordering makes no sense it was missing months worth of uh, worth of text messages it didn't change after leaving it alone things are still out of order deletions don't sync so literally i i have it, it it's worse than it's ever been <laughs> it, it's it's just really frustrating because like that was at that point, if it like why you've, uh, because it was a feature that was already like ten months late, which is which is fine, but like it still seems like it's not fully baked. Like I was running the newest version of everything on all the computers, and it still doesn't work, and it doesn't work on my iPad either. Same deal, mis- missing messages. Um, like the one master list appears to be on my iPhone and now I'm terrified of doing anything to try to troubleshoot it for fear that it's going to delete them off my iPhone somehow and I'm just going to be completely hosed. Well, see, that that's my thing too, is I've on a number of occasions thought, well, maybe I'll just like totally sign out of iCloud on my Mac and my iPhone and kind of just like let everything kind of reset and then log back in. But like, I'm terrified of doing that. It was like... Well, it- because that's basically what I did. Because what I did on, like, because when I updated to 11.4, whatever it was on the iPad, I was like, okay, you know, I'm, because syncing has never been enabled on this device, I'm just going to delete every text messaging thread that's ever existed on this. And then I'm, I'm going to restart the iPad. And then I'm going to turn on messages sync. And like as a clean slate, everything should be great. And still, no. And and the two the two Macs were clean installs of... Hi, Sierra, and that doesn't work either. So, Ugh. the only saving grace of Hi, Sierra is that for most people, it now has in the menu bar, it has a lock screen option, which which is very good. Hmm. Yeah, which is something I used to have, have to use Launch Bar for, uh, for. So, very excited about that. It's something that Windows had for two decades. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get on to main stuff. So, real quick, let's let's breeze through um, PepsiCo. Uh, maker of many, many sugary, terrible, horrible things. Uh, and also, uh, friends of the show will remember uh, creator late to the game of Bubbly with only one B mm-hmm. or only two Bs, not three Bs. Uh, sparkling water, which was not very good, uh, has made uh, more moves in the sugar free sparkling water space. They have acquired SodaStream for $3.2 billion. Yes, which is. I guess, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm a close Pepsi follower, but 
apparently there's been a big push within the company to move towards healthier beverages. And so this, you know, this acquisitions being done kind of uh, with that in mind. And I think that's definitely one of the, the benefits of SodaStream. And it, it certainly that's my personal experience where for a long, long time, basically my entire childhood and early adulthood, I was very much, you know, into soda and, you know, a handful of years ago kind of moved away from soda and have really just stuck to carbonated water. Cause really like the carbonation is kind of what I'm, what I'm after. And that's, you know, that's been a, been a really good change for me. Yeah. I mean, so they're just diversifying what, what they offer to customers because even beyond like the, um, like the soda, the soda tax municipalities and stuff like that, like just overall tastes for most people are changing away from sugary beverages. I think that's just becoming more common knowledge now that that's not ideal. We're, we're not really doing the like pizza hut, two pizza takeout with a free two liter of Coke thing anymore. <laughs> like which, which was, which defines the nineties. So yeah. In the same way, like where, like as when they saw the writing on the wall, they, they leaned in super hard to bottled water to the point where bottled water costs more than, um, sugary beverages, which seems strange and also potentially malicious, but, um, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Although in the advent, and this is probably maybe like an avocado toast millennial thing. Like I haven't heard much about soda stream recently. Like I thought it kind of fell off as a fad a bit. Um, I guess. I mean, I, I still know a lot of people who have them and regularly use them. I guess they don't show up in maybe the news and in ads the same way that they used to. But I don't know. I guess that's kind of the normal flow of any product, right? It's kind of new and exciting when it first comes out. And then after a while, it kind of just does its thing in the background. It, it goes flat. We're we're ending the show. Uh, um, I think I, I think I have logins to the website. I'll, I'll upload a file that has a, a laugh track. On <laughs> uh, I, although, you know, I guess one last little point that's semi-related to this that I haven't mentioned on the air yet. Um, our, our soda stream broke. Mm. We, this happened like right before the wedding. So we, you know, haven't really been without it much because we've been gone most of the time since then. But we have one of the, the model model names are weird and they're kind of different from retailer to retailer, but I think we have the, I think it's just the soda stream power. It, it's, it's, it's the one that you, you know, the, the basic soda stream, which we had for a while, you have to kind of like press and hold down a button at the top. And then you, you do that a handful of times until you get the carbonation to the level that you want. But with the power, it it actually you know as the name implies plugs into the wall and it's all just electronically done so you just press a button for your desired level of carbonation and then it just does the rest for you and ours you know you just go to press one of those buttons now and it just doesn't do anything <laughs> so we we will be i guess in the market for a pepsi branded soda stream at some point mm-hmm. So the, these, um, so I'm looking on Amazon. These apparently have consistently mediocre reviews across the board. Apparently, people have an axe to grind against this company. Yeah, I know. Like, I, uh, yeah. well, no, like, like all the models are three and a half stars. Like, consistently. Oh, even, even the basic one. 
Yeah, so the which apparently is called this naming is is interesting. Yeah, the Soda Stream. Sorry, the lowest end one is called the Soda Stream Jet. There's the Source. You have the one right below the highest end one called the Power, and then apparently there's the Soda Stream Crystal. Yes, which is the high end one. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> for troubleshooting and warranty information, please contact a sparkling water specialist. <laughs> I, I didn't know they had me on retainer. Do you... <laughs> um, do you find those in the uh, sparkling water groves, or is that is that just an Apple thing? Hmm. Did I screw that up? What? What? what is it? The, <laughs> Wait, I don't get it. Isn't it? Like, what, what are they? What are the app with Genius Bars called now? Aren't they like Genius Groves or something? I think that was vaguely floated, but I think they kind of stepped away from that when they became town squares because you know government doesn't isn't necessary anymore. Oh, but I thought the Genius Grove was within the town square. Hmm. Now we'll have to get friend friend of the show Angela Arnst on at some point. She'll clarify for us. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I was gonna make an uh, an Hermes joke. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really come together. Yeah, much much like my Grove joke. It uh it it uh it 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 fell flat as you would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll cut out the part where I made that joke first. <laughs> um, I didn't understand your Dropbox thing from earlier. Oh, the 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 take machine. Correct. I don't know. I just I was trying to make some hot take joke and how your the agenda would just be full of hot takes because that's I just I know oh, that's, what, sure. that's what the kids say. Mm-hmm. Okay. It 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 again just didn't didn't really come together. That's okay. We're all having a rough year. <laughs> uh, speaking of rough years and b- b- garbage uh-huh. fires, let's talk about Twitter and mm. everything. Mm-hmm. Didn't know so where we talked about this last that. week. this this is this this has been so twitter over the past up until yesterday's uh, uh, momentous news and just uh, that changing everything everybody's talking about now before that there was like a solid three-week period where like there was this internet referendum on free speech and and what um social networks should do with controversial slash dangerous voices on their platforms and stuff like that and i don't think that's something that we ever actually ended up talking about here and it's a topic that seems more complicated than i'd initially thought and my views have over the past couple of weeks have evolved on it a little bit and most of it centers around professional agitator slash conspiracy theorist alex jones who has his Infowars thing where he just peddles conspiracy theories and tries to sell like doomsday supplements. I think that's his actual like business model. And his whole thing of like he has his own website, but he also has um he puts his content on 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 YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. And that's in and social media is where most of his um audience comes from because he says ridiculous, horrible things, and that's that's his deal. So for a long time, I, I forget where, because like this became a story before anybody banned him, right? Like there was this thing like maybe a month or three weeks ago where people were just talking about like, why is this continuing? But nobody had really done anything yet. And Apple was kind of the first domino to fall on this, right? I, I think you're you're totally right in pointing out that this is a really complex issue. and. Ultimately, at the end of the day, there there isn't going to be an ultimate solution for 
moderating speech on the internet. But the other big point that I would make here is, to me, that difficulty lies in things like when folks start to debate immigration or gun rights or any other sort of topic where people get emotional and through that emotion maybe express views and opinions in ways that are hurtful to many and which are generally just not constructive and causes the conversation to kind of spiral out of control. Like that's where I think moderating speech becomes really, really challenging. Like where where do you draw the line versus political discussion and debate versus just kind of yelling and screaming? But to me, that's really not what we're talking about with Alex Jones and InfoWars. In his case, this is a conspiracy theorist peddling rumors about Sandy Hook being this elaborate fake setup job, which has then resulted in parents being harassed. That type of speech, in my view, falls under the same category as, of course, in this country, we have concepts of free speech, but you can't just go into a crowded theater and yell fire. There are certain social norms that we've come to an agreement around which say there are just certain types of speech and certain types of conduct that are just not acceptable. And that's that's the category that Alex Jones and InfoWars falls into for me. So I will grant Twitter and all these other social media platforms that moderating speech on the internet in many, many cases, particularly when things like politics come into play, is challenging and there's not really a great solution yet and may never will be. But speech like Alex Jones and InfoWars objectively has no place on the internet. And it's ridiculous for any company or individual to argue otherwise. I uh, So I actually disagree with the last point. Okay. I don't think... Uh, I... Th- I think anything involved, it, it belongs on the internet. Like, other than, hmm. I think that he, missing in these debates is is a really, like, foundational, uh, like, point of order and clarification, is that uh, the, most platforms that people, th- when people throw around, around the phrase, like, free speech, or I, I'm being silenced and that kind of stuff, like, I think a lot of people fail to realize that the platforms that they're talking about and that kind of stuff are, like, this is, it's not the street corner. It's it's not a place where you have the First Amendment right to say whatever you please. Uh, these are, you're, you're talking about your right to exist on a, uh, a private company's hosted platform that is generally made for the purpose of fostering discussion and allowing people to communicate with one another the internet at large i actually think for the most part like if he wants to have a website where he says really shitty dangerous awful things i mean go for it and if you want to try to find a company that is willing to host your hate speech that fine my main point or or what i think is is the more problematic part that everybody's trying to tackle is what should 
companies like Google, Apple, Twitter, Facebook, and all these others, what is their role and what should they be doing to moderate and um, eliminate voices that, for the most part, can kind of universally be identified as um, purveyors and peddlers of, of hate speech and dangerous speech that ends up having actual harm on like individuals, a specific group, or just the discussion at large. So like Apple did the first thing where they removed a few of his podcasts, I believe, apparently InfoWars has a whole bunch of different podcasts and but the the app remains on the App Store. And then once that happened, uh, YouTube then removed a bunch of his videos, and I think maybe banned his channel, I don't remember, and then Facebook did and a whole bunch of other stuff. But all of these companies seem to have like a really standoffish um, uh, attitude towards uh, wanting to be the arbiter of this kind of stuff. And specifically, um, if people look back to that interview that um, Mark Zuckerberg did with Kara Swisher um, on Recode Decode about uh, Facebook's role in uh, election meddling and all that kind of stuff, he was very, very, very resistant and felt... uh, like he just he did not want to be the person who has to say what is right and what is wrong and that he his his perspective is that facebook is a platform meant for connecting people and all this kind of stuff but that he maybe doesn't want to take on the responsibility that at the scale facebook is it can be a tool that's weaponized for for misinformation and 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 um an actual real real world violence and that kind of stuff well but that but that was the point that i was trying to make which is there are plenty of good examples of exactly what you just described where moderating speech is subjective and really really challenging but that but that's trying to wrap up something like alex jones into that conversation doesn't make sense to me because that the content that he's putting out is objectively evil and should not be on these platforms. And mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't really see from these companies' perspectives what the argument would be otherwise. Like trying to just lump it into the general conversation of, well, you know, moderating speech and opinion on the internet's hard. You know, conspiracy theories and hate hateful views like Jones and his network have are not are not to me something that's really up for much debate in terms of whether that has a place on these platforms. Well so then I then I have two follow up questions. So then then why then why won't Twitter do it? Why is the most action they're willing to to commit to is a seven day timeout? Because all of these networks or all of these platforms are scared to death of being accused of having a liberal bias. I mean that there's a lot of there's been a lot written around how that was perhaps a contributing factor to 2016, where in the years leading up to that election, Facebook had been accused of bias from the right and there could be a case made that maybe they went too far in the other direction and kind of turned a blind eye towards some of what happened in 2016 um 
and I think that I think these networks and platforms are continuing to to deal with the fear that they're going to be viewed as being liberally biased, and so they're going to kind of overcompensate to try to prove that they're not. But why? I I, I mean I I think that's I think that's stupid, but and I think it's it's spineless, but you know particularly in an environment where the right controls all three branches of government it's not in the best interests or at least that would be the view of some within these companies to try to kind of combat the right i i i understand what you're saying but i i think it's do do, do rational people really think that it's like I know, there's some, there are some. You just you had in, you had Ted in... you had Ted Cruz come out and speak in support of Alex Jones the other day. I mean, yes, this is absolutely a mainstream view of many Republicans. Not all Republicans, but this is not this is not some fringe thing. Like Alex Jones and Infowars is deeply ingrained in the Republican Party. You can't can't separate the two. I mean, President pre- President uh, President Trump went on but, and gave, gave a President network Trump during. Isn't, tr- President Trump isn't a Republican. Of course, he is. He is the Republican Party now. The five thirty eight's done a lot around this, where the idea that there's Trump's Republican Party and then the rest of the party that those days are long gone. The Republican Party is what it is. It used to be. It used to be something different, but again, those days are behind us now. I think most people, including the vast majority of people on the right, think Alex Jones is fucking insane, and the lies and conspiracy theories that he peddles are wrong and hurtful to the country. I think most people would agree with that. I think they're like, and and that is one thing where people like Ted Cruz, who, again, somebody uh, undeniably a jackass. Is like this seems like such a weird hill to die on, because like I understand that somebody would want to say that we we should like there are a lot of things I disagree with uh, that people who would identify as conservative or on the Republican side of things would want to talk about and say on platforms like Twitter that I, that I would disagree with, but that I don't think should be censored. But th- there's 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 a line where Twitter in particular seems to be unwilling to attack the stuff that is uh, objectively hateful and also the stuff that it has a through line and is a lot in a lot of a lot of ways like verifiably like white nationalist or nazi propaganda and all this other stuff where i feel like there's a difference between maybe hard right conservatism and white nationalism and i know that's a <laughs> A weird thing to have to even talk about but like i f- i think it's easy to 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 put a line there and i'm just so just speechless that that twitter seems unwilling to do it yeah no that's that's well said and uh we'll also link to this kara swisher article in the notes where she touches on that same idea which is if alex jones doesn't cross the line and doesn't break the rules on your platform then what does i think that's a that's a fair question to ask like what 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 content is is objectively worse than the type of content he puts out to 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 put to to put a pin in that for a moment 
So Jack Dorsey came back to the company like two or three years ago. Do you think he is idealistic and like treating this from like some like weird Buddhist perspective or like so, like something like that, like where he's just like like all speech is 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 fine and we're here to be impartial, whatever, whatever. Or do you think any of it has to do with he knows that this drives engagement and that there's a business motive to not implementing the type of regulation and moderation that is required to have a healthy social network, if that's even possible at this scale? Neither. I, I think I think it's what I said earlier, which is Twitter in particular, I think, is still trying to overcome any sort of notion that might be out there that it has a left-leaning bias. Well, so what? So why does he care? Is is it from a then? So in that case, is it a business perspective? Yeah, a business. Does he feel there will there will be negative repercussions and there's going to be a mass exodus of Republicans or conservative voices from the platform if he if they feel they're being moderated too hard? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I just think he's an idiot. Like I I just think he. Well, I I think I think he's I think he's an idiot for assuming my theory is correct. I think he's an idiot for thinking that. I, like I I think it goes down to one he's just an ineffective leader who doesn't understand what the product is and thinks about it in an idealistic way where he he hopes that humanity can solve this problem on its own and that if you provide a a platform for people to discuss issues like that that's that's all that matters and that's what he thinks twitter is i think i think he 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 approaches everything as though like just if if he just covers his eyes like it's it's all going to be fine and it's not, and you eventually have to take responsibility for the fact that you have this platform. And this goes doubly for Facebook, although I think Facebook is becoming more willing to own up to the role that they now play in providing a network where over a billion people communicate with each other and engage with each other. Whereas Twitter just thinks they're the online town square that runs promoted tweets. Like, I don't think they still fundamentally grasp the fact that they are the mechanism for lots of groups with hateful opinions and are trying to incite violence and and a lot of stuff like i i don't think they understand that if they don't provide that platform that like they just they don't need to be the ones to do it and that limits the reach of these people like and and i don't understand what will get them to the point where they understand their complicitness in what happens due to their inaction. Right. And I think something interesting that Kara Swisher points out in her, in her piece that I mentioned a minute or two ago is she brings up Apple in the sense that, well, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll read, I'll read the little passage here. Uh, While principles and rules will help in an open platform, it is values that Mr. Dorsey should be really thinking about. By values, I mean a code that requires making hard choices, curating your offerings, which was something that Apple got made fun of for doing back when it launched the App Store by the open is best crowd. I think that's a really smart point. And I I remember this vividly where people were just completely outraged at the idea that Apple was going to be a gatekeeper for everything that went onto the app platform. And of course, there was the whole jailbreaking thing and, you know, all kinds of movements against 
that kind of curated ecosystem that they built. But now, 10 years later, that's kind of starting to feel like a really smart approach. And it's it's not without its faults as well. I mean, I, I don't mean to imply in any way that Apple is some grand arbiter that just does everything perfect. That is absolutely not the case. But when you look at something like the App Store and contrast it to a platform like Twitter, you can't help but think maybe that curated ecosystem is in a bit of a better place these days. Well, but has that evolved? Like to the point, like, so why, why is pornography still not okay, but uh, Nazism is on Twitter? Because Twitter still has very hard and fast guidelines on certain types of speech. Well, I mean, the, the, the pornography thing, I think, is a, it's a bit of a specific thing where just America's kind of view on sex and nudity is just kind of weird, but 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 our 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 views on who has the right to exist <laughs> still up still up in the air i'm not putting that on you i'm just saying no, it, i know i i yeah that's i i think these platforms like <laughs> again to we'll we'll wrap this up soon but like what have you seen all like the like all the nerds allegedly switching to mastodon or whatever it is I, I have not heard of that, no. Apparently, there's a competing social network that everybody's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're all quitting Twitter and we're, we're going to this other thing. And it's going to be just like every other social network. It's going to be like LO and all these other ones where for a minute, everybody... And again, I, I'm I'm the idiot that backed app.net, so I, I have no right to speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could, I spent $50 on that and then it was gone in like eight months. Uh. Um. Like everybody's like, oh yeah, well, well we're just gonna leave Twitter, but like that—that's not the thing because Twitter just has so much. Like it just the scale is immense, where most people just aren't gonna leave. Like to the point, like where I think, like, like I've done something that's fairly effective, which is I just I don't use it on my phone, and that for and therefore I just don't see most of any of it, and I just rely on you to send me the good Darth tweets, and that's I got a good system going. <laughs> <laughs> um, like. Eventually, Twitter's got to figure this out, and that if they like long term, if it becomes a place that nobody wants to be, like like where it's just like there's so much harassment, and that's not even like we haven't even talked about the fact that it's not just hate speech; it's just like like all the Gamergate stuff and all. It's like just if you if you expose a certain opinion, like if you say something that just hits the right number of keywords, you'll just get like all these avatars of like MAGA hats of people just saying like hateful random shit to you. Like eventually, Twitter has to get to the point where they understand that this this they aren't the government. They don't need to have specific like there 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 is no free speech on the internet. Yeah, you 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 have no right to a voice. You the internet is is centralized in a way where you can you can set up a version of Apache on your home server and you can you can say whatever you want but nobody has the right to an audience nobody has the right to be hosted in a certain way and twitter as a for-profit business that allegedly wants people to use their service if it becomes a social network everybody's just like oh yeah that, that's 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 where all, all all the neo-nazis are and that's where uh you're just, if, if you're a woman on the internet you're just going to be bombarded with with just garbage and 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 uh misogynist attacks and all this kind of stuff like eventually i assume that has to be a, there has to be a point where that becomes bad for business and i just don't 
I, I don't understand how a lot of these platforms don't want to take a proactive approach. I'm not saying they have to be, and that's, I think that's the thing with the right words, like, oh yeah, the PC police and all this kind of stuff. But like, there, it's it's not even that far. No, nobody's requesting that style of moderation. It's a basic level of human decency and not encouraging or providing a platform for people to spread hateful views. That's. I that is so well said. I I agree a hundred percent. It's it's a it's a better way of saying what I've been trying to say, which is to me lumping in infowars with other types of speech which are legitimately challenging and fall into a gray area is is cowardly. Like they just it seems like there should be a clear line in the sand between content like that versus other type of content which is maybe more opinionated or you know has some type of basis in fact yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to talk about without getting kind of emotional about it mm-hmm. to leave it on a high note you can put in this uh link that, <laughs> that uh the star suite uh where probably the truest thing and this this was actually not related to uh the nazi stuff but this was related to the third party we're not even gonna talk about that but twitter um deprecating support and killing um most features for third-party clients uh darth had a good one and don't try to gaslight me about though we're always just trying to do better yeah join the fucking club, <laughs> which speaks to a lot of things on a number of levels yeah so. Uh, yeah, uh, Jack Dorsey and Twitter are always trying to do better, but somehow they never do. Right. So it's like they keep letting them repeat the fourth grade, but they never, they never, they never get the the difference between there and there. <laughs> um. <laughs> all right. Well, so let, let's let's move past this topic. Yep. Yep. Um, yep, yep. So this is what I would propose going forward here. Uh, kind of we're <laughs> running, running a little long here. I would say <laughs> we touch on the apple stuff because i actually do legitimately think that the apple stuff this week's pretty interesting and it's a little more time sensitive so we'll hit that we'll hit the the better call Saul stuff and then chef's corner i think that's fair but we're gonna definitely table the cord cutting thing because there's a lot to talk about oh yeah no I, there's there's actually a handful of topics that i really like here but are maybe a little less time sensitive and might go on as long as that twitter topic just did mm-hmm. uh so the the Apple stuff I think is is a good last kind of tech piece to or T word piece sorry to to touch on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, German scoop. German scoop. Yeah, German. Uh, German's back. I guess. Um, so the the headline here is Apple is planning a new low cost MacBook and a pro focused Mac Mini. So the first we've heard some other rumors about. There's been some supply chain rumblings going back to. I think it was like March. Gruber, Gruber pointed this out today, um, where we've been hearing about some 13-inch laptop that was basically going to take over from the MacBook Air at the bottom of the Mac line. And, you know, people's kind of assumption has been like, this will kind of like finally have the Mac line make sense, where you don't have this weird situation where like the MacBook Air is the bottom of the product line and then there's just the macbook which is like you would think just by the name would be at the bottom of the product line but is in the middle and versions of that are the same price as the macbook pro without touch bar i mean it's just, it, the whole thing's kind of a mess so the the theory here is that there would actually be kind of this logical 
um, product lineup on the Mac, starting with this rumored, you know, 13-inch Retina screen uh, sub $1,000 laptop. The second point, though, the, the Pro-focused Mac Mini, that's not something that at least I've seen rumored about before this. Um, so I'm curious to know kind of what your take on on both of these are. The MacBook Air stuff is is really up in the air. I don't know what's going to happen with that because that is what uh, Casey Johnston, who is the the person who has been beating the drum on the uh, the 2016 and beyond MacBook Pros, are hot garbage train, and she's been on the keyboard beat for a long time. So her and Joanna Stern have been pushing really hard for just like just just give the MacBook Air a Retina screen and, and call it a day because people like that laptop. And that seems like an unApple like thing to do. So who knows if they ever actually will do that. But it also, if you look at it like Apple's product lineup, like the MacBook Air fits in this price point where I think it's $899, where it's like for Apple to stay competitive with college kids and education, like it's a really well-priced computer. And it's just showing its age so badly with like if you go into an Apple store, everything looks shiny and new. And the MacBook Air looks fine, but then you look at the screen and it's got just like this really bad non-retina screen and it, and it doesn't really fit into their current product lineup. Still has a good keyboard, but that that's all you can say about it. And it just feels un-Apple-like for them to just slap a retina screen on it and call it a day. But really, that would be a great solution. <laughs> like it's the same way where if you're talking about the Mac Mini, like it's it, it just like, I mean, I have this aging, dying 2009 like early intel core duo mac mini that's been chugging along for a decade and i if they just took that same box and shoved in current intel parts i take my money but that seems like something that apple won't do so for the mac laptop like i hope they maybe they maybe make like german says make the bezel smaller tighten it up a little bit um and like modernize maybe the colors i assume they'll they'll do kind of the space gray because apple just they're they're doing space gray like there's no tomorrow i assume maybe they do something like that um and maybe they iterate a tiny bit on the the one port macbook but like i the macbook air is probably not the most interesting part of that the fact that they're going to do something to the mac mini is really really noteworthy and important um but it's just whether or not they go kind of like the Intel NUC thing that Jason Snell is always talking about, where it's a really small computer, like the size of an Apple TV, or if they actually make it like a pro-ish product where it's got a lot of RAM in it and it can be a good home server and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's uh, the, the Garmin article was light on details other than the fact that these two things are probably happening. Um, but I'm, I'm very interested to see how both of these things pan out. I am too. And I, I actually, I'm, I'm more interested in the Mac the MacBook side of this in the sense that, and I'll, I linked to this during fireball article that Gruber put out today, where I think the really interesting question is, you know, a few years ago, just slapping in a retina screen into the existing MacBook air would have made a ton of sense is, is probably what Apple should have done. And people would have been really happy about it. But what's changed in the couple of years since then is Apple's moved on to a completely new keyboard design They've moved on to completely different ports or uh, into a completely different port singular. Um, so, so now the kind of the question is like, how, what are you going to do there? You think it, it, There's no way in the world, I don't think, that Apple just t- 
takes the existing MacBook Air, puts in a better screen and calls it a day and keeps, you know, the old keyboard and USB-A ports and all the rest. Like, that just seems completely implausible and would be kind of an admission that everything Apple's done with laptops the last three years has been a bust, which... Maybe, but maybe, maybe, maybe they could turn over a new leaf and they can be honest with themselves. Maybe they went to therapy. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I mean, knowing what they know, like, I, I can't. Like, how do they not? Maybe this is the laptop where they introduce a new keyboard design. But like, because yeah, but like, then, but then, are why, they... why would they invite such a high volume laptop seller? to be also muddled with just a garbage, unreliable design. Well, but then, so, but, okay, so what, playing that out, so, okay, let's say that they introduce a new, and let's just say it, it is, like, truly better keyboard design in this device. Are they, are they going to continue to sell their pro hardware with inferior keyboards, or would the suggestion be that they use this as an opportunity to update keyboards across the entire line? I think they leave the the poorly designed keyboards with touch bar in in the other computers and cuz I assume if they did anything with the MacBook Air it would be like a hybrid between the two because the the MacBook Air has kind of like they have the old like high key like good key travel kind of wobbly keys and I assume they would just do something in the middle where that computer doesn't need to be quite as thin and they maybe do like a butterfly switch design that has a little bit more travel and is better sealed and is is just better because if they if they go too hard in one direction, then what's what's the point of the MacBook? Well, that's I mean that goes back to kind of the start of this conversation, which is people have assumed that this new entry level MacBook would kind of clarify the product line, and if anything, German's reporting today, which this, that's obviously not the intent of the reporting, but kind of as a byproduct of it kind of muddies the water even more about what the product line is going to be. So that's, that's why I think it's just, it's super, super interesting. Um, because the, like the, the main, the most logical way to do this, and this, this is not an original thought for me is that the whole point, like, is that the not, even though the touch bar is a bust and it's a bad design and it took away my beloved escape key, like the whole, that the MacBook escape become the MacBook air. Like that's the most logical way to approach this, but I just I feel like Apple refuses to do it. Yeah, and it, it's and Gruber points this out as well. It's just it's it's contrary to all the reporting that we've heard, both kind of before German's story and now with German's story, where it's been very clearly stated that this is going to be a new kind of new design from Apple. This isn't going to just be an existing product moving down the line. So. It, that that while you're totally right is logical and has been suggested by a lot of people it just doesn't seem like what the r- rumors have suggested so does the macbook escape continue to exist i don't know like once they once they make a competitive contemporary macbook air like either you're going to get the bad laptop with the high power but has the touch bar and it has all these compromises but it's the fastest laptop or you get the macbook air or if you want the ultra portable, you get the the MacBook One. So then, then what does the non touch bar model offer? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like I'm saying this over and over again, but Gruber's article calls that out too. Um, and there's just yeah, there's there's not a there's not a great answer for what happens to the MacBook Escape. Um, it's it just it seems like the logical answer, which is also what Gruber 
kind of outlines is, <laughs> you know, it seemed like Apple's plan at one point was, you know, they rolled out the MacBook because of the kind of ultra thin design of that laptop, kind of similar actually to the MacBook Air when it first came out because of the expense around some of those design decisions, they weren't able to come out with it at a entry level price. But, you know, just like with the MacBook Air, how that went from being one of Apple's most expensive computers to now their entry level computer, you know, the price of the MacBook would have presumably come down, which would have eventually resulted in them having just a really clean product lineup of we've got the MacBook and we've got the MacBook Pro, period. And I, I think probably for a combination of reasons between Apple just hasn't gotten the price of the MacBook down to less than $1,000. And because of a lot of the blowback to some of the design decisions that were made with that laptop, namely the keyboard, the existence of only one port, the screen size, I think too, I think a lot of people just don't really love that 12 inch screen size. For some combination of those factors, that, that strategy hasn't panned out. So in the absence of having just that clean MacBook, MacBook Pro product lineup, what are they going to do? And that's, you know, that's the million dollar question. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, to, just to clarify, when, remember the old black and white MacBooks, like back when we were in college? Mm -hmm. The plastic ones? Once the MacBook Air came out, did those continue to exist alongside the MacBook Pro? Or were they, they were discontinued, right? They were discontinued eventually, but it was not in conjunction with the introduction of the MacBook Air. The MacBook Air was kind of, I don't know. The, the, well, it was really under. It was really underpowered for the first generation. Yeah, it was a problematic computer. Right. But there was a point where their laptop lineup made sense for a few years, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I guess so. Because it was kind of like the MacBook, and then it was the MacBook Pro, and then the MacBook Air was kind of just like, sort of like this one-off thing for if like portability was like your kind of main focus, you could, you mm -hmm. know, because portability wasn't really a main selling point of either the MacBook or the MacBook Pro. I mean, they were both marketed as being, you know, relatively thin and light, but... I, Which you, you couldn't fit them into an inner office envelope. No. no. Um, but um, before we move on, the I guess the other thing I want to get your opinion on or your, your hot take on, as you would say, is there seems to be really, really concrete reporting now that this calendar year we're going to get at least a couple of new iPhones. We're going to get at least a couple of different new Apple watches. We're going to get at least one new, probably two new, just between the different screen sizes, iPad Pros. Now it seems pretty concrete that we're going to get some number of new Macs. Like, how does Apple roll all this out? Like, this isn't, this isn't just done at one event in September, is it? And like none of these products feel like they're just going to be press release products. Like all of these feel like they're going to need some time on stage. So are we going to? Are I don't we going to? So, hmm. Like I, I assume the keynote in September is the usual two-hour thing. I don't think they have anything that revolutionary to announce. They're going to have the iPhone, uh, ten, Rev two, and and the iPhone ten plus, and they're going to have the iPhone nine that looks like a low end. Uh, version of the iPhone 10 with worse black levels. Then they're going to move on to the iPads, and they're going to talk about how they're doubling down on productivity, and they love all the amazing thing that people are doing on these not-real computers. 
and then they're going to talk about the Apple Watch. So I assume those three products are taken care of, as they always are in the September event. And Apple's proven that they don't give a shit about the Mac uh, in terms of press time. So therefore, they're going to talk about, they're going to reiterate that uh, in like five minutes that Mojave is shipping um, in October or whatever. And it's a free upgrade because Apple loves their customers. And then in October, by press release, they're going to talk about the Mac Mini and, and these updates to the computers. And that's going to be it. Because in the grand scheme of things, at a product's division that makes 11% of the company's revenue, and they're much happy to just overcharge people on iCloud storage space, like they, they don't care. This can be stuff that just gets shoved on their website. Hmm. They, know, they know where the money's coming in, and they're going to divide the time appropriately. The Apple Watch is still a product that has high consumer interest, even if it's not a great contributor to overall revenues right now, where it still gets screen uh, stage time. The iPad is on an upward trend, or it's it's rebounding. It's 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 like the Lakers. It's 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 promising, but it's still a work in progress. And the iPhone's the iPhone, but the Mac, yeah, I don't think they care. The Mac Mini is never going to get keynote time, and I think Jason uh, of Upgrade talked about this a couple of weeks ago where they don't want people to get fatigued with Apple events and they need to know when to deploy press events. And even though they have the Steve Jobs theater now, they probably don't want to take away from the thunder that the iPhone announcement had. So just talking about Macs and a product that moves 4 million units a quarter is just not something they care about. And it shows. Hmm. Sorry, I'm super bummed about the Mac. Right yeah, now. no, I, I get it. Um, I'm, your bummed outness is warranted. Um, I I would disagree with them just pushing out an, an entirely new design via press release. I I, I don't think they're going to do that. So I to me I think the two options are an absolutely jam packed September event, which I don't think they've I don't think they've ever had an an event that's had new phones, watches, iPads, and Macs, um, or we're going back to what they did for a couple of years where there's a September event, which is followed up by an October event. It feels like it's got to be one of those two. Maybe, but just like all Mac stuff doesn't feel like it uh, warrants a press event, and combining iPad and Mac seems weird since they're <laughs> antithetical products in Apple's eyes. Right. Um, yeah, that's it. Well, we will find out in a few short weeks. Yeah, through, through the gift of time, if somebody's listening to this on a delay, hey, you already know. <laughs> Hi from the future. Uh, all right, better call Saul, real fast. Very good. Yeah, it's a it's a great show, and I feel like that's kind of what we say with every one of these recaps. But I I continue just to be blown away at how they've turned what on paper seemed like kind of just a cheap way to cash in on breaking bad success into a show that i think honestly is probably just as good as breaking bad mm -hmm. which is that's amazing and I, I i don't say that lightly breaking bad even in, in particularly in retrospect actually is like one of my favorite series of tv and i i would definitely put better call saul right up there yeah, and it, it and this could have been bad, and it could have been just like, hey, let's take uh, a fun character and let's 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 just try to churn out a couple of seasons of TV so we don't have to remake The Walking Dead, 
And but like they they actually did something really cool with it. And the one part that keeps surprising me is how they keep reintroducing care like spoilers for episode three, but like when Gail comes back, like it's they keep sprinkling in characters and fitting the pieces together in a way that isn't what you thought it would be at all. And and they and they don't they don't feel like cheap cameos. Yeah. Like it's like this makes sense, but I wasn't expecting it. Right. And but it, and it, but it's not like a shock factor away either. Like it, it all is moving the story along. Their mix of new and old characters makes total sense. There, there's tons of character development, and it's just it's really good. And Bob Odenkirk is acting his heart out every episode, giving impassioned speeches about copiers. It's it's very good. You know, one of the things too that I've really started to notice more in season four is the longer that characters like Kim, who are main characters in this show, who we know are obviously not in Breaking Bad, so we know that something has to kind of happen with them. Like the longer that they stay, like for example, like Chuck is an Chuck would be another character like this, where like you knew something was going to happen to Chuck because he's not in Breaking Bad, and you know his story was you know sadly concluded at the end of last season slash the beginning of this season and so now it's like with characters like kim you know that you know something's going to happen with them too and like the it, there's like this tension now that's building up like the longer that they're in the show i would say that's kind of true but i don't think the the chuck exit is necessarily the way that it's going to go well no I, I don't i guess I, I don't i don't mean to imply that but even just like I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think they're going to like kill off Kim, but like she's going to become at the very least estranged from Jimmy somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, how's that going to happen? Yeah, I think they've said the show's going to go at least two more seasons. So like, I, I don't know, that doesn't really enter into me for me. Like, I'm not constantly trying to figure out what Vince Gilligan and the writing staff are going to do. So I don't know, I'm still enjoying it. But no, I can see how that's still in 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 the, in the back of one's mind if if you're thinking more about it. But generally, I find the show and in the, the storyline of each episode engrossing enough where I'm not really like I'm I'm thinking pretty in the moment and I'm not uh, thinking about that. But I was worried with the car accident like of of last season of like oh no are they going to do something to Kim this soon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then glad they didn't because that 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 speech was really good. Yeah. So yeah, so like it's people, people, people should go watch it. And and um, I forgot to use uh, skip mode for one of the commercial breaks, and I so I saw an ad for uh, AMC Premiere so that I could watch this show without commercials and pay an extra whatever six dollars a month to watch it for the privilege. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's 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 really really good. Um, the Gus Fring stuff is very like because that's the one thing where um, Breaking Bad and and Better Call Saul are generally very good at having. Even though it all centers on one character, having two storylines that flow pretty independently of another one another, and right now I'd actually argue that there's three. There's the main Chuck, or sorry, there's the main Jimmy storyline. There's the Gus Fring uh, drug empire storyline, and then there's the um, ancillary um, Mike stuff. And it's all it all flows and fits together really well. Where you're independently, you're you're just in, you're invested in all three of those stories, but. Um, regardless of what's being shown on screen, it's, it's still interesting, right? Because there's there's an there's enough we don't know about each of those characters' backgrounds that 
we don't feel like we're watching something that we've already heard about. Like we know, mm-hmm. we kind of know where they're going to end up, but we don't know how they got there. Well, yeah. Cause like the Mike and Gus stuff for the most part, like it intersects very, very little. Um, which, which is good. And, and the Gus Frank stuff, like those, those things exist on like completely separate timelines for now. And that, and that's, that's okay by me. Right. And it's, it's, it's been really fascinating like which characters they've decided to kind of really focus on from the original series. Like I, I certainly didn't expect Gus Fring to be like a main character. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been really interesting that they've chosen to bring him back in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't like the brothers or those, those weird. I know. Guys. I know. Yeah. There's something feels off about them all the time. Like if just not even just like their their characters, but how they fit in the show. I don't know that that those two characters always feel a little bit exaggerated to me. But it's and they, they're, they're they've been a little overused, I think, in Better Call Saul because they were they were pretty limited in Breaking Bad, which mm-hmm. gave them a level of like it's kind of made them extra scary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that that that's that's totally right. Too much too much of them, yeah. but it's okay. It's it's a great yeah. show. Yep, you should go watch it. Um, and if if you need to watch it uh, without commercials, go fly to Europe and then watch it on Netflix. <laughs> That's right, a Netflix original series. Mm-hmm. Powered by AMC. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, not powered by AMC. Um, all right, Chef's Corner. Let's do it. Okay, so I am I'm returning Chef's Corner back to its roots, as you would say, and I'm going to make kind of a very traditional. Um, kind of um what do we used to call this thing uh i think i stole picks of the week from mac break weekly but then it, we turned it into uh, chef special uh, that's what it was yes yeah um god that feels like that was like 24 months ago <laughs> um so this is a little utility for the mac weird name weird name i don't know why it's called this but it's called tooth fairy and it solves, ooh, yeah, okay. yeah, it solves one of the biggest problems that I have with the Mac slash AirPods, which is the experience of connecting your AirPods to the Mac is not great and is generally, at least for me, pretty unreliable. So, you know, you have to click on either the sound preferences icon or the Bluetooth icon, go down into AirPods and then select connect. So you're looking at at least a couple of different taps. And when you do that, again, at least for me, I only find my success rate there maybe about 75%. And the other 25%, I have to then go through that process at least once more, sometimes a couple of more times. So this little utility, Tooth Fairy, creates a new little icon in your menu bar. And you then have a one-tap click from having your AirPods connected to the Mac. So this little icon just lives in the menu bar. You click it, and you can actually do this for other Bluetooth devices as well, although they kind of focus on AirPods. So you click this one icon, and I, I don't think I've ever had it fail so far, and it, it also happens much more quickly, because that's the other thing I didn't mention is with this standard way of connecting your airpods not only is it kind of unreliable but sometimes it just takes kind of a weird amount of time with tooth fairy airpods have connected much more reliably and much more quickly so it's an awesome little tool good yeah i've heard about this in a couple places and yeah i never i never use my airpods with my mac but yeah that that's 
Yeah, I've always heard there's this weird like voodoo in 10 second delays where if you just kind of want them to like magically work, it, it generally doesn't. Right. Um, yeah. And they, they also, there's also like some other kind of niche settings they have where I guess if you like disable the microphone on the AirPods, it gives you access to like a higher quality Bluetooth audio stream, which which Ooh. this utility can automatically do for you. I have I haven't really played around with that stuff. It's it's really just the one click, um, reliable fast connection that I want. Good, cool, free or paid? It's paid. Um, it's uh, what what was it here? Two ninety nine. Hmm. It's a half a blue bottle. That's not bad. <laughs> All right. I didn't really have anything, so I'm going to make a pick or a special of something I already own um, that I bought a second one of, which is I am replacing my Microsoft uh, Sculpt ergonomic desktop because it's getting the, the wrist rest. It's getting a little, little worn and weary. Um, it's the best ergonomic keyboard I've ever used, and that's coming from someone who's used split keyboards many times in the past. Um, it's rock solid, and I love it. So do they just, they sell that same keyboard still? They do. And that's the thing I'm worried about that I've been worried about because they made a new version of it, which is Bluetooth only. And, um, OS 10 does not like Bluetooth keyboards very much mm. or, or, or it's fine, but it, there's always like all Bluetooth devices, uh, because of power saving eventually, like after a little while they go to, they go to sleep and then you have to like, there's just this lag of when you start using it again, which for me just drives me up the wall where the old little usb nubbin and it the fact that it never goes to sleep is is totally worthwhile i do i do uh always uh i i don't like that this keyboard doesn't have the attached dedicated 10 key and i don't like the separate one that it comes with but it's 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 still a winner for me so yeah so it was on bnh and i got another one for like 84 dollars, and it seemed like a good choice yeah we we've i think we've talked about this keyboard pretty extensively on the show i've finally come to enjoy it after over a year of use oh actually maybe i will make a newer pick real quick there is a company online called four keyboard yeah uh for the number four keyboard.com and you can buy stickers because the thing with the the microsoft sculpt keyboard is that it's 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 from microsoft so all the shortcut keys and stuff are for windows like the command key that you normally have on a Mac is a gigantic Windows logo. So you can buy these little uh, sticker sets that allow you to put the correct keycap on it. So I have that, and I really like that. Yeah, I um, when I first bought my Scope keyboard, I bought some stickers. I don't know if it was for from for keyboard or not, but it was whatever ones you recommended at the time. Oh, so maybe yeah, this might have been an offline pick, but yeah, it's 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 very good. Yeah, so I because I like I'm actually, I I have I have those online. Yeah, because like I, I'm a touch typist, like I don't ever look at the keyboard, but sometimes you do, or you there's just like a, a weird multi modifier keyboard shortcut, and if you're staring at a Windows logo and an Alt key, you're just like, oh god, what's going mm-hmm. on? Yeah, dark times. All right, tell the dog good night. <laughs> good night, Branson. <laughs>